This committee will come to order. Uh, let me thank all of you for your time today, your willingness to serve. Uh, welcome to this full committee hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on Nominations. Uh, today we will examine the ambassadorial nominations to the nations of Mongolia, Cambodia, and uh, Brunei, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, I would like to warmly welcome the nominees and their families who are here today. Thank you for your service. Uh, this is not just uh, an individual uh, post. This is a family post, and we are grateful uh, to all of you for your willingness to allow uh, spouses and family members to serve in this capacity. We are grateful for it. Uh, so welcome. Uh, Senator Markey, I'll turn it over to you for your opening statement. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you for your partnership, your leadership on the subcommittee uh, in this uh, past year. Uh, and. Uh, Beyond the uh, importance of these three countries themselves, this hearing also is critical because a number of key issues, China's growing regional influence, North Korea's illicit trade relations, and human rights are all relevant to the countries for which these witnesses have been nominated to be ambassador. And I'm particularly interested in hearing how our nominees plan to address the challenges of promoting U.S. values and strategic interests in countries where there is still progress to be made. In the interest of time, I will conclude my opening remarks, and I look forward to hearing from the witnesses. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, and uh, we have a hearing after this on China as well. I was going to say nice things about Senator Markey there, but I'm the same here. Uh, Senator Markey, thank you for your great partnership this past Congress on uh, issues related to Asia. I think we've done a, a, some great things in committee. I just appreciate all the work that you have been uh, helping us uh, accomplish this year, so thank you. Uh, our first nominee is Mr. Michael Kluczewski. Uh, he is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service class of Minister Counselor who is currently Deputy Chief of Mission at the United States Embassy in Manila, Philippines, a position he has held since 2015. Uh, welcome, Mr. Klicheski, and thank you very much for your service. We're also joined uh, by our second nominee, uh, Mr. Matthew Matthews. Uh, he is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service, class of minister counselor, who has served as an American diplomat since 1986. He is currently ambassador for Asia-Pacific Economic uh, Cooperation and deputy assistant secretary for Australia, New Zealand, and the Pacific Islands in the Bureau of East Asia East Asian and Pacific Affairs. Mr. Matthews, thank you, welcome, thank you for your service. Our final nominee is Mr. Patrick Murphy, a career member of the Senior Foreign Service Class of Minister Counselor, who is currently acting Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs. Mr. Murphy has served for over 25 years in the Senior Foreign Service in numerous senior positions. Welcome, Mr. Murphy, thank you for your service as well. Thank you all, uh, I'll turn to you for um, your five minutes of, uh, of opening statements. Mr. Kluczewski, please begin. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Markey. It is really an honor to appear before you as President Trump's nominee to be ambassador to Mongolia. I am grateful for the support and confidence of the President and Secretary Pompeo. Working these many years in the Foreign Service has been a privilege uh, most importantly, because it has allowed me to serve my country, and I would be honored to do so again in this important capacity. I've been blessed by a supportive, loving family, my wife Aloisa, who I feel fortunate to have with me here today, and our three children, Stefan, Kara, and Adam, uh, have been with me throughout. We've traveled throughout the world, and I really could not have done it without them. Last year marked 30 years of our diplomatic relations and 27 years since Mongolia's peaceful transition from communism to democracy. Looking back, the United States takes pride in having assisted Mongolia's market-oriented reforms 
and expanded political, cultural, education, and defense cooperation. These have clearly served both our interests. Today, as an open free market society, Mongolia is a model for others who wish to join the community of free democratic countries. We have built a close relationship with Mongolia on a foundation of shared values and common interests. Mongolia takes active part in the community of democracies and recently participated enthusiastically and constructively in the Secretary of State's first ever ministerial to advance religious freedom. It's also announced the designation of its own first ever ambassador at large for religious freedom. It has been with us in forging a safer, more just world. Its soldiers have stood alongside our own in Iraq and Afghanistan, all while sustaining one of the world's largest per capita UN peacekeeping contributions. President Trump has set forth a vision of an Indo-Pacific in which all nations are sovereign, strong, and prosperous. And in this vein, Mongolia's continued independence is clearly in the US national interest. So let me here just lay out a few key themes of effort that were I to be confirmed, I would pursue to this end. So first, Mongolia's sovereignty stems to a significant extent from its free market economy and notable economic growth. It presents many opportunities for US firms and investors. And if I were confirmed, I would focus heavily on economic and commercial issues. That would include alerting the US private sector to those opportunities and advocating for American business. It also would involve supporting good governance, which is key to Mongolia's economic future and has really been a hallmark of US programming. In these realms, there's much to build on. We already have engaged across a broad front to assist Mongolia in improving its business climate and protecting its economic autonomy. We are seeking full implementation of the US-Mongolia Transparency Agreement, pushing for further improvements through the USTR-led Trade and Investment Framework Agreement, helping Mongolia develop robust anti-money laundering capabilities in partnership with the US Treasury Department, and boosting US exports and commercial opportunities through Commerce Department-led trade missions. And of course, the Millennium Corporation Challenge Second Compact also is pivotal in this regard. So it's really been a whole of government effort. And as an ambassador, where I confirmed, I would, of course, make uh, coordinating that effort in order to maximize the effectiveness of US taxpayers' dollars of prime importance. As noted previously, Mongolia has been our steadfast partner in some of the world's most troubled regions. Mongolian troops serve in, con in concert with the NATO coalition in Afghanistan. Many thousands of Mongolian soldiers have served in this role. Many, uh, th uh, some thousand are uh, currently active in UN's, UN peacekeeping missions in South Sudan and elsewhere. Indeed, on peacekeeping as in other areas, Mongolia has proven a willing and able security partner. This is something I would obviously focus on as well. Then there's the question of shared values. From the outset of our bilateral relationship, the ties between our countries and our peoples have been a force for Mongolia's democratic development and the foundation of our friendship. Over 1,300 Peace Corps volunteers have served in Mongolia since 1991, and they play a role in many areas, including English language education. USAID has played a significant role in terms of democratization and development, and I would, of course, continue our work in those areas and many others. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, the U.S.-Mongolia relationship has been strong and highly constructive, and there's every reason to be optimistic that we can build on what has been achieved. So it would be my great honor for the Senate to confirm my nomination to pursue that effort. Thank you very much, and uh, I would, of course, welcome your questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member Markey. 
I'm honored to appear before you today as the President's nominee to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to Brunei. I appreciate the confidence the President and Secretary Pompeo have shown in me and confirmed I look forward to working with you to advance U.S. interests in Brunei as we work to foster the international rules-based system that supports the sovereignty of all nations, large and small, and a commitment to partnership to all nations seeking to do the same. I'm both happy and thankful to be here with my wife, Rachel. We have served together through more than 12 postings in our 32 years in the Foreign Service. And without her support and encouragement, I wouldn't be here today. While my son couldn't make it today, I'm grateful that our daughter, Kristen, could join us as well. Mr. Chairman, the United States and Brunei have enjoyed strong and prosperous relations for 150 years. Uh, actually, 170 years, since 1850, when our two countries first signed the Treaty of Peace, Friendship, Commerce, and Navigation. Still in effect today, the treaty has underpinned our close cooperation. More recently, the United States was one of the first countries to recognize Brunei's independence from the United Kingdom in 1984. In the time since, the United States and Brunei have worked together to promote peace, stability, and development in the region. And if confirmed, I hope to continue that tradition by further strengthening our bilateral relationship. In recent years, the United States and Brunei have cooperated to address a host of matters important to Southeast Asia. Brunei's position as a South China Sea claimant state with good relations throughout ASEAN and with others across the broader Indo-Pacific region allows Brunei to play a significant role in diffusing tensions, advancing our interests within ASEAN. The United States and Brunei have an active and growing defense relationship highlighted by regular bilateral and multilateral exercises both in Brunei and the wider Indo-Pacific region. We have three fundamental defense agreements, a defense memorandum of understanding, an access and cross-servicing agreement to facilitate logistics cooperation, and a long-awaited general security and military information agreement signed in July of 2018. This last agreement will help facilitate information exchange between our two militaries and significantly strengthens our bilateral security relationship. Our economic relationship is also on a positive trend. One of the United States enjoys a modest annual goods and services trade surplus. Brunei generally has very low tariffs, and U.S. companies seeking to export to Brunei usually do so freely. If confirmed, I would work to expand our bilateral trade relationship and would seek to employ the BUILD Act to encourage the participation of U.S. firms in Brunei infrastructure projects. Our cultural, educational, and people-to-people -people ties continue to grow and define our bilateral relations in new and positive ways. Together, these programs highlight a multifaceted relationship that is deep and broad, and one that is central to both promoting U.S. interests in the region and fostering peace and stability that bring economic growth. I believe we can and should work hard to expand all these exchanges. Certainly, there are challenges in the relationship. Freedom of expression and freedom of religion and belief, which includes the right to change one's religious beliefs, are enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. We regularly communicate with the government of Brunei regarding human rights, including religious freedom, and encourage Brunei to uphold its international commitments on human rights, including for minorities. In this context, the United States has serious reservations regarding certain provisions of Brunei's Sharia penal code. We are concerned that it potentially criminalizes aspects of freedom of religion and belief. I am also concerned about the corporal punishments described in the code. While we understand that none of these punishments have been carried out, as a signatory to the UN Convention Against Torture, Brunei must ensure that its laws prohibit torture or other cruel, inhumane, or degrading treatment or punishment. And we must continue to urge Brunei to ratify and implement this important international convention as soon as possible. 
Despite some challenges, the long-term prognosis for strengthening our bilateral relationship with Brunei is excellent. Hence, we consider our engagement with the next generation of Bernayan youth to be critical, including through promoting their participation in the Young Southeast Asian Leaders Initiative, or YSEALI. Brunei was instrumental in developing the focus of YSEALI, which has now grown to nearly 130,000 members across Southeast Asia. Through the Fulbright U.S. ASEAN Initiative, we are also supporting Bernayan scholars and professionals to conduct research at U.S. universities on topics of importance to ASEAN and the U.S. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member uh, Markey, uh, thank you for inviting me to testify before you today and for giving my nomination your serious consideration. I am happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you, sir, for your testimony. Mr. Murphy, please proceed. Thank you, Chairman Gardner, Ranking Member Markey, and members of the committee for considering my nomination to be the next United States Ambassador to the Kingdom of Cambodia. I'm grateful to our President and our Secretary of State for their confidence. I have deep appreciation for the support of my family, part and parcel of my entire career, including my wife Kathleen and daughter Jillian with me here today, my son Seamus in Richmond, Virginia, and my daughter Megan watching from Morocco. My mother-in-law Barbara is also here today and my folks are supporting from Florida. I'm thankful to colleagues in the foreign and civil services, local employees overseas, and counterparts across our interagency and armed services for their collegiality over my three de decades of public service. If confirmed, I will work very closely with Congress to advance U.S. interests in Cambodia, promoting democracy, rights, and freedoms, building on the strong support the United States enjoys among the Cambodian public, and strengthening cooperation on our vision for the Indo-Pacific. Representing my country as a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa, and for 26 years as a diplomat, has been an honor. I benefited from my upbringing in Vermont where I was exposed early to the value of public service. I have spent much of my career on Southeast Asia and if confirmed, look forward to further contributions to this critical part of the world. Cambodia is the product of an impressive ancient civilization. The tumultuous 20th century, however, proved challenging. I started my diplomatic career in 1992, a point of inflection for Cambodia when the UN Transitional Authority arrived to administer elections, made possible by the Paris Peace Accords, through which Cambodians, the United States, and many others negotiated the end to a long and devastating conflict. I'm proud of our work in Cambodia, including partnerships with civil society. Today, over 85% of Cambodia's people are above the poverty line and enjoy a growing economy. With help through USAID and other US programs, Cambodia has achieved nearly universal primary education, decreased maternal mortality, and served as a model for tackling HIV AIDS. The United States has been a leading donor in helping Cambodians address painful legacies via efforts aimed at demining and achieving justice and accountability. If confirmed, I will continue these efforts and strengthen our work with partners to end trafficking in persons. In recent years, regrettably, there has been backsliding in governance, rule of law, and corruption. This administration has been clear in our concern that recent national elections fell short, in part because of the dissolution of the main opposition party, jailing of its leader, Kem Soka, and banning of others. If confirmed, I will advocate strongly for reconciliation, adherence to the principles enshrined in Cambodia's constitution, and efforts to protect the country's sovereignty. 
Our Cambodian American community has contributed to the home states of the distinguished senators, as well as to the bilateral relationship. I would like to grow connections between Pueblo and Phnom Penh, Boston and Barambang, by increasing international visitor leadership program and other exchanges, and sustaining a Peace Corps program through which hundreds of Americans have contributed to Cambodia's development and mutual understanding. If confirmed, I would seek to balance and increase our $3.5 billion in annual two-way trade by promoting U.S. business interests, Cambodian adherence to international labor standards, and a leveling of the field for U.S. investors and workers. I also commit to working steadfastly for the fullest possible accounting of U.S. personnel missing from the Indochina conflict period. This is our solemn obligation, a foundational area of cooperation and an issue close to my heart. My family, like many, lost a loved one in service during the Vietnam War, and I understand the profound need to account for our personnel. If confirmed, I will work closely with our Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency and American families to keep this humanitarian issue at the forefront of our Cambodia policy. Our U.S. Agency, agencies and staff in Phnom Penh are world-class, and if confirmed, I will count myself truly fortunate to lead them. I will make their security and that of their families and all Americans in Cambodia a top priority and dedicate myself to facilitate our collective efforts to advance U.S. interests. Thank you, members of the committee, for your consideration of my nomination. I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Secretary Murphy. And who's watching from Morocco? My daughter Megan is there studying, taking a gap year, uh, Senator, uh, studying Arabic for the year before she starts university. Well, it's a little bit of a different time zone, so thank you very much. He's doing a great job. So you're doing a great job. Thank much you. Much appreciated. We appreciate her support, too. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Klicheski, actually, uh, Ambassador Matthews, Secretary Murphy, I'm going to start with uh, just a question for all three of you. Um, S Senator Markey and I have worked on a bill called the Asia Reassurance Initiative Act, uh, ARIA. Uh, ARIA is built around three uh, sort of pillars, uh, economic pillar, security pillar, rule of law. Uh, provides funding for an Asia-Pacific security initiative, $1.5 billion authorization for five years every year uh, to help uh, counter terrorism training, uh, military capacity building, those kinds of things. Uh, economy talks about the promotion of bilateral, multilateral trade engagements, opportunities, again, capacity building for additional trade uh, in, in the countries that you will be serving in, the countries you're serving with uh, today. Uh, and then, of course, rule of law, democracy it provides additional funding to help uh, address issues like human rights, uh, civil society, and what we can do to engage that voice of America uh, with and throughout the region. Um, so I, I would just start with you, Mr. Klicheski. A bill that is built uh, upon the premise of reestablishing, not reestablishing, excuse me, but, but bolstering U.S. presence in the region. Uh, what does it mean to you, and how could you use the tools of a bill like ARIA? Thank you for the question, Senator. Indeed, uh, there has been a lot of programming with regard to Mongolia to support its independence, uh, strengthen its human rights, improve its governance, but there's a lot more to be done, and that's particularly true at a time when China and Russia, the two large neighbors of, uh, of Mongolia, are uh, seeking to increase their influence in a country where they already have significant influence. So uh, having more resources uh, across a wide range of areas, and I mentioned some of those in my statement, would be extremely useful in terms of uh, reasserting uh, the commitment of the United States, a commitment that I think is well understood, but nonetheless uh, is w worthy of uh, reassertion and uh, reinforcement, shall we say, in a country like Mongolia at, a, at this very critical moment. So we would certainly welcome uh, 
those kinds of resources and that kind of statement of support I think is equally important across a, a, the wide range of issues that you raised and that some of which I mentioned in my own comments. Thank you, okay. sir. Ambassador Matthews. Uh, Mr. Chairman. Excuse me, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, there is, we have very substantial uh, military to military ties with uh, Brunei, but I think since uh, the recent incidents in Marawi, uh, there's been a significant uptick in interest on the part of Brunei, particularly in counterterrorism training, and uh, we hope to be able to continue to expand working with Brunei on that. Um, when it comes to rule of law, again, uh, the interests that we have in the South China Sea, uh, I think, are consonant with those of Brunei. We respect their sovereignty. We respect the rights of all claimants to be able to resolve their issues uh, and their overlapping claims in a peaceful way consistent with international law. And I think RA can be helpful uh, in supporting programs that help emphasize how to go about doing that. Thank you. Secretary Murphy. Thank you very much, Senator Gardner. And, and I want to say at the outset how much we appreciate uh, the acts of Congress uh, on the Indo-Pacific, not just on the, the Asia Initiative that you cite, but the BUILD Act, doubling the financing available from 30 billion to 60 billion, increasing flexibility with political risk insurance and uh, equity lending. This will make a big difference in the region, but your messaging in particular on the rule of law and governance has been heard resoundingly. Cambodia is a country that has made a lot of progress in recent decades, remarkable, recovering from a period of utter devastation. And they have a lot to show for it in terms of their economic growth, uh, the space for civil society, and indeed a constitution that provides a multi-party democracy. The elections that they held in 2017 were quite remarkable. That all, however, has deteriorated with elections this year at the national level. And hearing the strong voice from Congress helps us considerably, and if confirmed, it's a message I bring. The United States is quite unified. We'd like to see a reversal in Cambodia of this <clears throat> deterioration for Cambodia to resume its place of political growth and expansion um, and, and, and the merits that have been benefited to the, the public of Cambodia. Uh, thank you. And uh, Mr. Klicheski, to all of you again, whether it's Mongolia, Brunei, or Cambodia, uh, what more can we be doing to assure our allies throughout the region that they no longer simply have to turn to China for economic or security opportunities? Uh, you mentioned the BUILD Act, we mentioned Ariev. Uh, but how else can we develop stronger opportunities to work with them economically uh, as well? Thank you, Senator. Indeed, uh, reinforcing that message is very important, and uh, some of the men, uh, issues we've already mentioned are important. Um, I would say in the case of Mongolia, the uh, MCC uh, is a very important symbol. It's important economically for a country that, uh, whose capital is really struggling with a fundamental issue, which is the uh, availability and quality of water. But it's much more than that. MCC, as you well know, sir, uh, also involves a great deal of governance training. And that's important in terms of economic uh, influence as well, because strong governance plays very much into the hands of the US rather than some other countries. So in that regard, uh, that's one area where we, can do be, we, we will be doing more. But uh, rule of law, I would say, and governance are very important issues with regard to the economy. There's much more that can be done. Thanks, Mr. Klicheski, and I'm out of time, but I would just say this. We talked about it in the office. Uh, if you buy a Caterpillar tractor in Mongolia, you don't necessarily refer to it as a Caterpillar. You call it a Wagner. Uh, they call it a Wagner because of the Wagner Company headquartered out of Denver, Colorado, uh, that has a lot of employees there. So uh, we're excited about the relationship, economic uh, relationship that Colorado has with uh, Mongolia. Uh, Senator Markey. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, very much. Uh, Mr. Murphy, I'm, I'm particularly concerned with the attacks on all independent voices, 
but especially the free press, since most Cambodian media is under the control of Hun Sen, his family, and the ruling party. How would you use your role as ambassador to reiterate America's strong interest in maintaining a free press amid a crackdown that has included the shuttering of the Cambodia Daily, Radio Free Asia's Phnom Penh Bureau, the ban of FM uh, uh, radio stations carrying Radio Free Asia and Voice of America, and the jailing of independent journalists, including two former RFA reporters. Senator, first I want to share the concerns that you express. <clears throat> I have those same concerns as does the administration, and we have made that clear. I think we have reason to be encouraged because Cambodia in the past has demonstrated there is room for a free press and a vibrant civil society. The backsliding that has occurred over the last year and a half is incredibly disappointing and unnecessary. Cambodia can be, and it has demonstrated it can be, a multi-party democracy. If I am confirmed, I will bring the strong message of Congress and the administration, work with all stakeholders, including civil society, other partners, international organizations, to strongly urge the authorities to resume and expand the space for media. You are absolutely correct in citing the closing down of the Cambodia Daily, the restrictions on Voice of America and Radio Free Asia broadcasts, but also let me add that the Cambodian government invited out of the country the National Democratic Institute. NDI had worked successfully for over 20 years in the country. That was an unnecessary step. We'd like to see those steps reversed. Okay, now let me ask you about the sanctions on Hun Sen and uh, his regime. Um, have we exhausted targeted sanctions? Should we examine further steps, such as reevaluating U.S. provision of generalized system of preferences, benefits to Cambodia? Thank you, Senator. Citing the backsliding again, uh, the administration responded to the concerns about the diminished space for democracy and civil society by imposing visa restrictions. Uh, those apply to individuals who have contributed to the backsiding and the closing of space and uh, on one occasion have been expanded. That's an authority the Secretary of State has. We continue to watch that and would consider expanding that tool further. You cite GSP uh, trade benefits. Cambodia is a big beneficiary that has provided employment for many Cambodians, particularly women, I would note, and helped the economy. We think, in fact, that trade and, and expanding that $3.5 billion in two-way trade can help create more opportunities, including for civil society. But we're not alone on this. We're working with, for example, our European friends are closely scrutinizing what they call everything but arms, the equivalent of their trade benefits, and that's under review now. Um, we will continue to look at all tools available to us, sir. I, I would urge you to closely examine uh, that as an additional tool which you can use in order to put pressure on this uh, government. Uh, in your current role as a senior official <clears throat> at the East Asia Bureau at the State Department, you helped oversee the U.S. policy response to the humanitarian crisis in Burma and the Burmese military assault against the Rohingya. I'm deep, deeply concerned by the fact that the crisis continues one year after the attacks with nearly one million Rohingya and refugee camps in Bangladesh. And there appears to be no solution to allow for a safe and voluntary return of the Rohingya back to Rukhine State. Yesterday, the legal firm that the State Department worked 
with to investigate the 2017 attacks produced its full report. In it, the investigators said that based on the evidence, there are reasonable grounds to believe that crimes against humanity, genocide, and war crimes have been committed against the Rohingya. The State Department had access to this data in the production of its own report on the atrocities committed in Rakhine State, yet we are still waiting for a final determination from the Secretary of State on how to categorize these attacks. Do you have any idea why Secretary Pompeo has not made a determination of the violence committed against the Rohingya based on the evidence we now have? Do you believe that the violence committed against the Rohingya was ethnic cleansing, crimes against humanity, or genocide? Senator, we share the profound concerns of you and many of your colleagues here in the U.S. Senate and in Congress about the humanitarian disaster in Rakhine State. The treatment of the Rohingya has been appalling and it's been the case for many decades. I was with Vice President Pence just a few weeks ago in Singapore when he met with State Councilor Aung San Suu Kyi and made it clear that the abuses inflicted on the Rohingya people are unacceptable and without excuse. Our Secretary of State has made a determination that ethnic cleansing took place we continue to review all information available, uh, and the finding of ethnic cleansing does not preclude further determinations. However, the body of information available does keep us squarely in pursuit of accountability for those abuses. Also, efforts to meet the humanitarian needs of the Rohingya people. Close to one million have sought refuge uh, in Bangladesh, neighboring Bangladesh, and have many needs. We're proud to be the leading donor. But on the accountability, we have taken many actions. We have, using the tools provided to us by Congress, specifically the Global Magnitsky Act, we have sanctioned seven individuals and entities. We have supported the UN fact-finding mission. We have supported the UN Special Rapporteur for Human Rights in Myanmar. And we are continuing to support the UN Secretary General's Special Envoy on improving relations between Burma and the United Nations organizations. We are in full pursuit, sir, of accountability for egregious human rights abuses. That is clear. Well, um, in my opinion, you can't be too tough on Burma. You can't hit them hard enough. You can't call them out enough. Okay, so that's my view. It's just an absolute atrocity. It must end. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Markey. Senator Rubio. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Murphy, is, you were... Um, in your role at the time of, uh, at the, in the State Department, uh, your role in October of 2016, you were in the bureau that oversaw East Asia. This was part, Myanmar or Burma was part of your portfolio. Is that an accurate assessment? As Senator, I was in a different capacity than, than I am in now, but uh, Burma was among the countries. Uh, were you at that time the principal deputy assistant secretary for EAP? I was not. Oh. I was the deputy assistant secretary. Okay. Right, principal deputy assistant, or just irrespective, you were in that bureau. Let me ask you, what was your position at that time regarding imposing targeted sanctions on Burma and Burmese officials in the wake of the violence that took place in 2016? In 2016, sir, I was the deputy assistant secretary of state for Southeast Asia. And I had an opportunity, in fact, to, uh, to travel to Burma uh, at that time. Um, and have made subsequent visits as well. 
Um, the uh, attacks that you are talking about and the violence uh, did occur in 2016, again at much greater scale in 2017. This is not new. The Rohingya population has been, in my view, one of the most repressed, discriminated against populations anywhere in the world. And we have worked for decades on trying to protect their rights, um, help them achieve fundamental rights denied them, including the ability Mr. to- Mr. Murphy, I don't mean to be rude because I'll run out of time. I just wanted to know what was your position. There was an internal debate within the administration that's been documented uh, between those in the Human Rights de Department and those overseeing our diplomatic efforts. Uh, can you tell us what your position was uh, with regards to recommendations on whether or not um, to impose targeted sanctions on senior military leaders responsible for the abuses in 2016? Senator, I think you might be referring to 2017 when the, the attacks took place in August um, committed by a so-called entity called ARSA against security forces and the disproportionate response began the series of abuses that led to exodus. Um, I've been a very firm the, supporter, the October sir. October 2016 violence, which was the first initial wave in October of 2016. You're familiar with that wave of violence? Yes, Senator, I am. And at that time, were you engaged or not in the internal debate about whether or not to impose sanctions on Burmese military leaders? I have been part of our internal de deliberations in response to these attacks, and yes, for the past could, two years. Is it possible for you to tell us on which side of that debate were you on? Because we, we all are aware, and it's been documented extensively by former officials of the previous administration, there was an internal conversation about whether or not to sanction senior Burmese officials or not, given sort of the progress that was allegedly being made on democracy. Can you share with us what your position was at the time or your view of it was at the time regarding sanctions on senior Burmese military officials? S Senator, if I could, I, I think the deliberations are a, a constant theme of the shaping of foreign policy. And I'm not really in a position to reveal individual positions, but the results are incredibly important. We have sanctioned, under the Global Magnitsky Act, seven individuals and entities. I'm fully supportive of those results, and I'm fully supportive of ongoing efforts to achieve accountability for the egregious abuses that have been inflicted on the Rohingya people. So just so I can be clear, you, you, won't, you don't feel you can tell us what you were arguing for at the time because those were internal deliberations? Well, Senator, I'm, I'm incredibly supportive of our ability to use the tools provided to us by Congress, including identifying individuals responsible for abuses and atrocities. I know, but I want to go back to, I don't belabor the point, but I, I just want to know if I can get an answer or not on this particular point. In the aftermath of the violence in October 2016, there was, we know, an internal debate within State Department among different factions or groups about whether or not there should be sanctions against military officials in Burma responsible for this. And there was one camp that was saying no because we're making progress on democratization. We don't want to slow that down and another group that was arguing human rights need to take precedence. And my question is, were you involved in that debate? I think you've told us you were involved in all the deliberations regarding Burma, and what at that time was your position? Not hindsight, but at that time. And I understand if you feel like you can't tell us what their position was because it was an internal deliberation, that's fine. I just, need to want, I just want that question answered one way or the other. Sir, at no time have I been opposed to the use of any of the tools available to us. Okay, so sanctions you, or restrictions. So at no time did you oppose recommendations from within state and from outside human rights organizations to impose targeted sanctions on senior Burmese military officials. That's accurate? No That's time. correct. Okay. 
that was the question I want to get an answer for. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Rubio. And I think uh, part of our the trouble we've had, of course, over Bremen the past couple of years is the responses during the previous administration where uh, sanctions were lifted, uh, I think mistakenly so. Uh, and, uh, you know, there were a few that remained in place, but uh, despite evidence that there were uh, conflicts continuing, uh, violence uh, being committed within the country, that there were uh, efforts taken uh, and sanctions relief given. Uh, prematurely, in, in my opinion, and I think is it safe to say that you supported the toughest sanctions possible at the direction of the secretary at the time? Senator Gunter, I, I think it's important to, to call it like it is. It's not business as usual with Burma. We still enact the Jade Act that Congress provided us, the tools, restrictions on assistance and engagement with the military, the top Mado, the armed forces of Burma. The sanctions relief that you referred I'll, to- I'll remind you too, though, in the Defense Authorization Act, uh, we actually reversed some language that was written in the Defense Authorization Act that would have allowed it further military engagement. That language came from somewhere, so I think that's the concern we have. Yes, sir. Referring to the sanctions relief of uh, several years ago, it was the request of the civilian elected government in Burma, the first elected government in nearly 50 years, um, and the opinion of that government that sanctions had run their course. That doesn't dictate our policy, but that was an important contribution to our deliberations on how to help how to help this country transition from authoritarian rule to civilian elected government. It's an ongoing transition, predictably an incredibly bumpy one, but it's one that we need to see succeed for our national interest and for the interest of all 60 million Burmese people. Well, there's no doubt we need it to succeed. That's absolutely right. But I think we also have to make sure that the U.S. values are represented, that we don't prematurely end sanctions when uh, the objectives uh, of our country have clearly not been achieved. And I think that was the case that we were worried about uh, several years ago when these sanctions were lifted. Uh, Mr. Klicheski, quick question. Mongolia and North Korea, what more should we be doing to make sure Mongolia is engaging North Korea in a productive matter toward delocalization? This is indeed an important question, Mr. Senator. Um, so Mongolia has made a clear commitment to the UN Security Council resolutions. To the best of our knowledge, they've been implementing those. At the same time, Mongolia does have a relationship with, Mongo uh, with uh, North Korea partly because of its communist past and because of a desire to continue that. Uh, so we should continue, as we have been doing, uh, maintaining the pressure and highlighting to DPRK the long-term commitment that all the, the entire community has uh, for denuclearization. In other words, it's a goal that we all share, and uh, in his recent visit here, the Prime Minister of Mongolia again reiterated that commitment um, and uh, highlight regularly in diplomatic discussions, um, the importance of uh, the kind of maximum uh, pressure campaign that we've been pursuing. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Senator Markey. Yeah, quickly, um, Mr. Murphy, on uh, the demining efforts in Cambodia, um, is a goal of meeting it by 2025. Looks dubious that that goal can be met. What, what, what else can we do to make sure that legacy um, is dealt with the United States relationship with Cambodia uh, to uh, telescope the time frame it's going to take to remove those mines. Appreciate the question, Senator. Uh, the country was incredibly heavily mined over many years of, of conflict, uh, conflict uh, internally to Cambodia, conflict with uh, neighbors. Um, and indeed, Cambodia was caught up in the Indochina, the broader Indochina <clears throat> conflict. Uh, we've been a proud donor. 
working with civil society and other partners inside the country and international partners to help that country uh, address its serious mining issue. Do you and, have specific um, steps that you would recommend to us right now? Uh, I, I would, sir. I, I think uh, it merits continued U.S. support. Uh, we're not the only donor. We want to leverage that to encourage other donors to contribute and indeed entities with inside Cambodia. Uh, but I think congressional support for demining is in the interest of the so United would you, States would and you, Cambodia. So would you support increasing the funding in order to give the U.S. more leverage to get other countries to increase their support? Well, I'm very cautious when it comes to asking Congress for funding. I think we have a broader uh, administration policy to approach you with priorities squarely lined up. But I can <clears> say this. U.S. funding has been instrumental in that country and puts us in a position as a leading donor, and it has saved countless lives, um, including uh, among vulnerable populations like women and children. Okay, good. Uh, and uh, one final question for you, uh, Mr. Matthews. Um, in Brunei, uh, they, they, that government has an abysmal record on the uh, question of how the LGBT community is treated. Um, what would you recommend that we do to encourage them to be more, um, more fair in their treatment of that population in their country? Thank you, Senator, for that question. Uh, we, of course, consistently uh, support a fair and equal treatment for all citizens of all countries, and we'll continue to uh, ensure that that's a position that we yeah, clearly So homosexuality is illegal in Brunei and it punishable is. by death. What would you recommend that we do in Brunei specifically, that one country? So in Brunei in particular, we need to ensure uh, that Brunei is, uh, and we are encouraging Brunei to ensure that it meets all the requirements of the uh, UN Declaration of Human Rights. We need to ensure uh, that they follow up and fall through on the initial uh, steps they took when they signed. And, and that would mean not making homosexuality illegal? Is that the position that you correct, would take in sir. your talk? That is correct. With them and that, is correct. that it should not be punishable by death? Would that be absolutely. the position that is absolutely you would bring? The yes. Uh, I think that's very important. I think that the stronger the encouragement to them, uh, using whatever means possible, I think is a very important human rights message to be delivered. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, and, and I'll be brief back to Mr. Murphy. I just want you to explain kind of my line of questioning. We see it now even with the Saudi Arabia situation. There's always a tension between respect and defense of human rights and geopolitical reality. It's a constant balancing act. In the case of Myanmar, Burma, um, the previous administration made a decision that engagement would lead to democratic opening, and, and there were steps uh, in that direction. And, and there was an argument that anything that disrupted that uh, would be problematic, uh, because in the end, finding you know, a more open space for the vast majority of the population was better than nothing at all. Embedded in it, of course, is a, this is a country that already has very significant ethnic divisions to begin with. And in the case of the Rohingya, frankly, they're hated by every sector of power there in, in sort of in a way that makes no sense in my mind and is certainly evil, but nonetheless, it manifested itself in this horrifying atrocity. For, from my perspective, when someone, ambassadors, particularly in, in countries such as these, have a very important role to play in, in what they speak out in uh, and what they say, it sets the tone, and in many ways sets policy by their willingness to step forward. And we've seen in the past how uh, courageous 
ambassadors have been able to set the tone at key moments within a country, which is why I ask this. It's important for me to know about nominees, how they balance these two realities. We do have to have realism in foreign policy, but we also have to infuse it with human rights, which I believe, frankly, is in our pragmatic interest, not to mention our moral interest, which is why, to me, it's so important. I, I recognize what the previous administration's decision was. I hope that in hindsight, some would reconsider whether there were some strategic mistakes made. And I don't hold the current administration uh, blameless in that front. There's yet to be a determination made. You know, yesterday, and I think uh, Senator Markey alluded to this already, the Public International Law and Policy Group, they said, with regard to the crime of genocide, this report concludes that there are reasonable grounds to believe the genocide was committed against the Rohingya. The U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum published a statement yesterday that they believe there is compelling evidence that the Burmese military committed ethnic cleansing, crimes against humanity, and genocide against the Rohingya. So increasing number of groups have looked at the fact patterns that the State Department has available to them as well and concluded that genocide has been committed. And I understand that that term, that terminology, triggers all sorts of legal requirements and the like on international forums. But nonetheless, there has to be a decision made. So my question, I'm not even asking you what the recommendation is. I just want to know, has EAP made a recommendation to the secretary on a determination with regards to uh, genocide or the crimes committed. I'm not asking you to tell me what the recommendation is, I just, because I understand that's an internal deliberation. It, it, could you tell us if a recommendation has been made, or do you know if a recommendation has been made? Senator, first, I appreciate the attention you give to human rights, uh, and I think more broadly, democracy. I share uh, that uh, need to prioritize these issues. It's defined my entire career. Uh, I lived in Burma a decade and a half ago under that country's military rule, and the Burmese people and the United States does not want to see a return to that kind of authoritarian governance situation. Uh, with regards to uh, what we call the atrocities that have taken place uh, inside Rakhine State, I noted the determination that ethnic cleansing uh, occurred, and we are in hot pursuit of full accountability for those abuses and atrocities. That does not preclude other determinations that are available for a Secretary of State, for example, crimes against humanity or genocide. We continue to gather all information. The report that you cite feeds into that body of information about what transpired and where and when inside Rakhine State. We will continue to avail uh, ourselves of, of those tools and those uh, possibilities going forward. But, but the specific question about whether a recommendation has been made, is that something you cannot answer? If a recommendation has been made to the secretary on a determination yet? Again, I'm not asking for what the recommendation is, just whether one has been made or not. Sir, I think I'm in a best position to tell you that there are robust de deliberations and discussions inside the State Department with other agencies to help shape and inform our policies, make these determinations. Nothing has been ruled out about future determinations. We are solid in the fact that ethnic cleansing took place, which is no small matter. And it allows us to remain very, very firm in pursuit of full accountability, working with our partners, UN agencies, stakeholders inside the country. Yeah, I th if I may just follow up, Mr. Chairman, on, on, I just want to follow up on Senator Rubio, because I do agree with him very strongly that it's important to know whether this administration thinks it's ethnic cleansing. Is it a crime against humanity? Is it genocide? And what is the plan this administration has to release that determination? Because a lot of the policy that we have in our country 
And the way the rest of the world is going to view this government in Burma is going to depend upon the judgment that is made. So it hasn't been made, and I, I agree with Senator Rubio very strongly that uh, this is a very important determination. Uh, I feel strongly that it's genocide, but uh, to the extent to which this administration must speak, uh, just repeat, uh, uh, Secretary Pompeo was repeating what Secretary Tillerson said about ethnic cleansing. But I think uh, the plan is actually something go, that goes beyond that, and I just uh, would like to echo the thought of Senator Rubio. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that the question Senator Rubio asked was not answered. Uh, and uh, I would just encourage you in the coming days uh, to answer the question. I think it's a pretty, pretty clear question. The question is, if, you're in a, if you were in a capacity in your previous role to make a recommendation to the secretary about the uh, violence uh, and actions, activities uh, against the Rohingya in Burma, whether that is ethnic cleansing, whether that is genocide, and what recommendations you have made to the secretary and how to respond. Is that correct? It is. And look, I, I, on the one hand, appreciate the idea that when you work someplace and you've made recommendations, but there hasn't been a final decision made, to announce that publicly at a forum ties the hands of the secretary. So I respect that part. That's why I didn't ask what the, what the recommendation was. On the other hand, when a decision is made, assuming, for example, that they decide not to determine it's genocide, they're going to say it was based on the advice of professional staff who looked at it. So I just want to know whether or not a recommendation has been made. And perhaps you're in a position that need to go back and get clearance to tell us the answer to that since you're currently employed there now and, or, you know, and have been involved in that and, and have been authorized to potentially say that. The bottom line is this. We are, part, of, part of our role is oversight over the State Department. And, uh, and I, I understand that realism has an important role to play in our politics. It's just a re, you know, the world is a dangerous place with a lot of bad actors in it. But I do believe that so does human rights. And, and in many cases, um, we're just playing games with names here, uh, words and, and titles for what we want to call this. Ethnic cleansing is genocide. It's just the legal terminology that triggers actions that perhaps some don't want to take in the broader geopolitical perspective. I would like to just know whether a recommendation has been made or not, not what the recommendation is. We'll find out soon enough. And again, if, if, if I may, Cambodia suffered a genocide. And, uh, and, uh, and that's what this hearing is really about. It's, it's about the history, but also the future, how you deal with the consequences of that. And I think the more uh, quickly we come to grips with it and name it for what it is, is the more quickly we put in place policies uh, that we can look back at and be proud uh, that we took the strongest possible steps. So Secretary Murphy. Thank you very much, Senators. First, I would just want to share the concerns about the atrocities and human rights abuses committed in Rakhine State. We fully concur with those concerns and pursue accountability. Uh, distinguished Senators, a year ago or so, I had the opportunity to testify at a hearing before this full committee on the situation in Rakhine State. There were many members pressing for a determination on ethnic cleansing. At that time, I was in a similar position. I was not able to reveal deliberations and the path to a determination because of the process involved. That determination was subsequently made, ethnic cleansing. I am now in a position to say we fully supported that across our building, including within the East Asian Pacific Bureau. I hope you will be fair to me now with regards to any subsequent determinations. Those are not ruled out. Inside our department, we have many experts, many more, far more versed on the, the legal aspects with regards to a determination of crimes against humanity or genocide. Those deliberations continue. And I think, Senator Rubio, you're, you're correct. We don't want to tie the hands of our Secretary of State. He needs the ability to 
hear all information, explore all information. We will continue to gather facts as they become available. Remember, Rakhine State is a, is a part of that country, largely off limits to humanitarian assistance and international media. We're pressing for that kind of access. We take on board all the reports available, and we will pursue regardless of where determinations go. The fact that ethnic cleansing has taken place, we've made that determination, that's incredibly serious. We know abuses took place and atrocities, and we won't stop until we achieve accountability. We will pursue all efforts. Secretary Murphy, I just want to encourage you to continue your conversations with Senator Rubio uh, until he uh, gets an answer that he can uh, work with. If I may, Mr. Chairman, just to point out, the idea that that part of the country is off limits to humanitarian assistance, aid, and human rights observers is pretty clear evidence that there's something going on there. Uh, it reminds me of why the Saudis didn't want to give the Turks access to their consulate for a number of days until the cleaning crew got there. Um, it's, it's, that alone is pretty indicative of... And, and Secretary Murphy, remind me, you yourself were denied access uh, to Rakhine when you visited uh, several years back, is that correct? Uh, no, sir, I did have access to... Where were you denied? I you went denied. to Sitwe, yeah. the capital of Rakhine State, and the environs. In past decades, I have been able to visit uh, northern Rakhine State, where I could see firsthand, yeah. uh, almost 20 years ago, the treatment of the You were denied access in certain areas, though, correct? Your visit several years ago? No, sir, not me personally. Okay. I, I did access refugee camps in the vicinity of, of uh, Sitwe and Rakhine State. Okay. At that time, that's, uh, th those were our requests. Yeah. Was that after 2016? Yes, sir. What was the last time you had access to the area? In 2017, roughly October 2017. And you were not denied, for whatever reason, I'm, I apologize if I had that wrong. I was under, thinking that you were denied access. I'm sorry if that's incorrect. No, sir, that, that is incorrect. There may have been some media reports that speculated that at the time, but okay. uh, we were not denied uh, where we made the request to go. Now, I, I want to clarify, Senator, there has been humanitarian access, some media access. We find it inadequate. We'd like to see more. Our ambassador to, uh, to Burma, Scott Marciel, has been able to go to Rakhine State, including northern Rakhine State, and for that matter, other parts of the country that are experiencing conflict as well. Just this week he was in northeast Burma where Kachin State and Shan State continue to suffer from internal conflict. Thank you. Uh, thanks again to everyone for attending today's hearing, and thanks for your willingness to serve and your, your public service uh, over the past many years. Uh, the witnesses are uh, grateful for your appearance today. Uh, for the information of members, the record will remain open until the close of business on Thursday, including members, four members to submit questions for the record, and I would ask uh, kindly that you return your homework uh, as quickly as possible, uh, and the responses will be made a part of the record. Thanks to this committee. The hearing is now adjourned.